An oxymoron is a combination of words that are contradictory, like jumbo shrimp, pretty ugly, military intelligence, or journalistic integrity. Perhaps another oxymoron is Presbyterian celebrations. Presbyterians are not known for their celebrating, but for our seriousness and intellectual rigor. We even have the hardest name to spell. It's much easier to be a Baptist. (laughs) But what is a Presbyterian? What does the name really mean, and does it really mean that we cannot celebrate? Well, on on the contrary, what we will see from our passage this morning, Acts 14, verses 21 to 28, we will see Presbyterian celebrations. Before we go to the word, let's go before the author in prayer. Our Lord, thank you for speaking to us. You are not a God who is silent, but has spoken abundantly throughout the ages in different times and places, a word that has been revealed that is now readily and fully available to us, that we might know the whole of what it is that you have spoken in redemptive history, to know it and to absorb it and to apply it. But in order to do any of that, we need you. And so we would pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your word. So we would also pray for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy and only by your grace is he able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. In our look at the book of Acts, we've been going at a pretty fast pace, sometimes a whole chapter at a time, but we're going to slow down this morning for these important eight verses from the end of chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. Listen to God's word. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. On this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas and their companions brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to a part of the world that was known as Galatia. Paul's letter to the Galatians is written to these people in Galatia that we read about in Acts chapter 13 and 14. I mentioned last week, and maybe you got a chance to do it, and maybe not, and even if you did, do it again this week. Read the letter to the Galatians in the context of who these people of Galatia are. Specifically mentioned are four towns in Galatia, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And there was success and persecution in Pisidian Antioch, where the word of of the Lord spread through the whole region, but also where the women of high standing and the leading men of the city ran them out of town. 
there was success and persecution in Iconium. A great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. And yet those who refused to believe stirred up the town against them. And once again, they were chased out of town. At the banner of Truth Ministers Conference this past week, Joel Beakey said this, No hearer can leave a sermon preached the same as they entered. The sermon will either harden or soften. That is certainly true now. It was true in the early church, and for that matter, it was true in Old Testament Israel. There will be success, and there will be rebellion. In the town of Lystra, there were some who came to faith, and a confused crowd who went from wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas to suddenly turning on a dime and then wanting to kill Paul and Barnabas, stoned him and left him for dead, in fact. And then from there, they went to Derby. And verse 21 tells us in Derby, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Later in Acts chapter 20, we will read that the church in Derby sends a delegate and financial support. So even this short ministry has lasting effect. And part of the lasting effect comes from what we are told that they did in the rest of verse 21. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And so again, we see that gospel ministry is not just about getting people saved and then saying, have a nice life. Ultimately, the gospel applies to every aspect of life and existence. It takes a lifetime for us to apply this within our own lives. And it takes the whole time from the first coming to the second coming of Christ for us to apply this gospel throughout the world. Westminster's mission statement is reaching, equipping, sending. Not just one of those things, but all of those things. Reaching, equipping, sending. Paul and Barnabas have done that first part, the reaching. But they go back to each town in order to do more equipping, to disciple those new believers. But that's not all. They are not able to stay And so in order for the church to progress forward that they might even do their own sending, as we will see that they do, Paul and Barnabas do something incredibly important, and we read about it in verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. The church in each town was officially organized by the appointing of elders to each church. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros, and it is from this word presbyteros that we get our English word Presbyterian. And so the Apostle Paul was planting Presbyterian churches throughout Galatia, appointing elder leaders in each of the churches. And that word that's translated in the NIV as appointed is translated in the King James and elsewhere as ordained. The word appointed or ordained literally means to uh, elect or to choose by uh, the stretching out of the hands. And so it is that we have a raising of hands or at least uh, filling out a ballot in order to choose our elders. And those that are chosen, we ordain by laying our hands on that person who has been chosen to recognize them uh, as ordained. And so one of our Presbyterian celebrations, uh, and some comes, comes with fanfare and excitement, but also has a solemnity to it, is with prayer and fasting, perhaps, 
when a church recognizes a particular person from the congregation who is called to be an elder. It becomes either a teaching elder, a pastor, or a ruling elder. And the church votes for that person to serve as an elder, and we lay hands on them to ordain them to the office. The teaching elders and ruling elders in a particular congregation serve together as the session. The teaching elders and uh, representatives, uh, ruling elders from the various churches in a region gather together and are the presbytery. And in two weeks, ruling elder Towner Scheffler and I will uh, be part of a group of teaching elders and ruling elders from uh, around the country and even in some cases from around the world for the general assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. So it is the ordained elders of the local church who are the session in a particular region who are the presbytery and in the country are the general assembly. Leadership in the Presbyterian Church is always done by more than one person. There's always a plurality, at least two. I have a friend uh, who's a Presbyterian pastor of a very small church and his session is just two of them. Uh, he is the teaching elder and one other ruling elder. One person makes the motion, uh, the other one seconds it. That's it. Pretty simple. This is different from an Episcopal form of government where there is one person, the priest or the bishop, the cardinal, the pope, one person who makes the decision. It's also different from the congregational form of government where the whole congregation meets together to make a decision. I have a friend who pastors a church with a congregational form of government and they have monthly church meetings in order to vote on all the things that need to be voted on. It took them something like two years to figure out which lawnmower they were going to buy. <laughs> I said, you know, you really ought to become a Presbyterian church like the Bible says you ought to. So, Back in 1570, a man by the name of Thomas Cartwright delivered a series of lectures on the Acts of the Apostles at Cambridge, England, in which he challenged the Episcopal form of government that was being practiced in the Church of England and advocated for what was to be known as the Presbyterian form of government, similar to what existed in Geneva and had recently been established in Scotland. Thomas Cartwright was fired from the University of Cambridge following these lectures as they flew in the face of the Church of England. However, the lasting effect of these messages is still felt today and felt right here, not just in Presbyterian churches, but within our own national government, which really is a Presbyterian form of government. We have government leaders who are elected by the people and they represent the people in cities, counties, states, and at the national levels of government. You know, when I first came uh, to Westminster, uh, someone asked me what my vision was for the church. And I said, I don't have a vision. I thought it would be presumptuous of me to come to a church with a vision. Uh, it seems to me that um, I and the elders would need to hear from the people and that we together discern and implement God's vision for the church through the representative elder leadership chosen by the people. And I went on to suggest that the name on the door speaks volumes about who we are. Westminster, which affirms our doctrinal convictions about the biblically reformed faith. Presbyterian, which affirms elder representative leadership. Church, that we belong together to Jesus Christ. 
in Butler that our ministry is primarily in, to, and with the community of Butler. We are Westminster Presbyterian Church in Butler, and that means something. We ought to celebrate that. The celebration doesn't end at verse 23. Paul and Barnabas go back through Galatia and sail back to Syrian Antioch, the church that sent them out. Verses 21 and 26 both simply say Antioch, but the one in verse 26 refers to Syrian Antioch, which is the sending church. Verse 21 is Pisidian Antioch, which was the receiving church. And so verse 26 fully says something worth celebrating. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. How great is that last phrase? For the work they had now completed. Paul and Barnabas and their companions had been sent out for a particular missionary journey. It was about a two-year journey. And they returned having completed that work. Not all mission everywhere has been completed. Not even all the mission that they would do. But that work was completed. Do you ever feel like you never get to complete anything? <laughs> Often we have a big project. It has a beginning, middle, and end. And there may be phases to the project or the project might get renewed. And so we often feel like it just keeps going. But it's good to know when some part has been completed so that we can celebrate it together. I remember a few years back, we celebrated the retirement of Sam and Lois Batir as missionaries in Chile. When they first went to Chile, there was not a single Presbyterian church. By the time they retired, there was an entire presbytery, an entire grouping of churches. It was no longer a mission outreach of the Presbyterian Church in America to Chile. There was now the Presbyterian Church in Chile. Three years ago, we celebrated the retirement of Teresa Rhodes from her mission work. Her work was completed. In September, we are going to celebrate the retirement of Susan Woods, a charter member of Westminster who has completed her mission work with MTW in Portugal. She wraps up the summer and will be here in September, and I can't wait to hear her reporting when she returns. Those are the long-term celebrations. We also need short-term celebrations. In fact, next Sunday, we will celebrate with Tyler and Elsie Harbison, who have been in Honduras for a year, and to celebrate what God has accomplished in that time, even as we consider what comes next. We have successfully completed two initiatives in partnership with the YMCA for some of the kids in our neighborhood. Two weeks ago, the youth group had an appreciation dinner, a great way to celebrate the completion of the ministry year. The children's ministry also had a celebration lunch two weeks ago filled with pictures of all the things that were completed this past year, including the completion of a three-year survey of the whole Bible for our Sunday school students. And so this season, as we do budget planning, it is a time to celebrate what has been completed, and then budget planning is a time to discern what we will do for the next year. Paul and Barnabas had not completed all the mission work that was to be done or even all the mission work that they would do. They will go on for more journeys that we will read about. But there was a celebration in that moment of what had been completed. And they come back to the church to celebrate with the church together. Verse 21. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. 
previously the whole church in worship together received the word from the Lord to send Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. And now Paul and Barnabas return and report in worship together with the church at Antioch. And every person in the church comes together to celebrate all that God had done, recognizing we're all in this together. Not everyone does every ministry initiative. The entire church in Antioch didn't go to Galatia. They sent a contingent, and then that contingent came back, but it was the church that sent. We're all called to different aspects of the ministry, not even just as a church, but within our vocations. And we celebrate together what is completed so that every Sunday even, in worship together, we celebrate the victories of this past week and then have a sending for the next week. What did you complete last week? What will you complete this week? Some just completed and some will complete soon a school year. Some will complete reading a book. Some will complete projects at work. Some will complete some Bible reading and prayer time. Break it down into chunks that can be celebrated as items completed by the grace of God. And keep that part in mind. Because we need to be clear, this is not a humanistic speech about celebrating personal achievements. Presbyterian celebrations are God-honoring, Christ-exalting acknowledgments about what God has accomplished in and through us. And so notice that's the focus, what God has done. The focus is not on what we have done, but what God has done through us. The things that we have done are accomplished because of God who makes it possible. Paul and Barnabas don't come back to the church and say in a self-centered manner, we healed a man who never walked before. Check us out. The whole city came to hear us preach because we were so great. We saved countless souls. We chose elders for every town. There was no self-centered pride, but God-centered worship. When the church sent them, verse 26 says, they had been committed to the grace of God. The church knew that if there were to be any success at all, it would be by the grace of God. If they were to endure, it would be by the grace of God. And now Paul and Barnabas report what was accomplished because of the grace of God. Celebrations then become encouragements for us to keep on keeping on. In the face of difficulties, hardships, divisions, persecutions, and all kinds of obstacles. Jesus encouraged, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Certainly the reporting that Paul and Barnabas did would have been too lengthy for one occasion. It was two years worth of stories, testimonies, accounts that had happened over that period of time. And so verse 28 concludes, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Once we have accomplished a task, we usually move right on to the next. But it's important to celebrate, to give God the glory for what has been accomplished along the way. We Reformed types, especially, are often more aware of what still needs to be reformed 
what still needs to be corrected, what still needs to be changed. Our battle cry is Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda, Secundum Verbe Dei. The church reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. But that doesn't mean we never celebrate the reform that has taken place according to the word of God. That's part of the reforming. Otherwise, we begin to think that reform will come because of a certain doctrine or a person or a program or a structure or some idea that we create when all genuine change happens only because God accomplishes it through us. He opens the doors and we walk through them. We are Presbyterians, led by the elders, chosen by God and by the people of the church. We are celebrators, excited about victories granted by God, changes to our situations, changes to our hearts and our lives personally, but also as the church together and even as a people together. There is still much more to be done, but there is already so much that God has done through us. So let's celebrate the truth who set us free. Amen.